It is 7.05 on Wednesday evening. This is the uh, second one for this week, of course. The weekend shows, of course, Employment Hour at 30 happen on Global TV and CTV weekend mornings. Uh, that would be our television show as well. Dave Vaughn doing the Wednesday. I know he did a bit of a swap with Lior for this past Monday. That's all good. We're going to get to uh, the week that was. In the meantime, as we get to that in our topic for tonight, which is most common questions you can ask Dave on the phone, in person, and on the show, and otherwise emails, for instance, we'll do that. Phone lines already open, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. You have the option of one 225 talk That is toll-free. You have questions about your boss, your employment, severance, anything you've always wondered. This is the hour to call and get the questions. It could be uh, money in the bank, and I mean that quite literally, if you've been let go and you're not sure about your severance and what it should be. And if you should be signing that paper, I can tell you right now, don't until you at least call. So we'll get into that. Emails a little later on if we have time. It is help at employmenthour.com. That said, Dave, big fella, what do you got going for the uh, the week that was? You got a couple things happening, yeah? Yeah, the uh, first uh, situation I want to speak about uh, on the face of it seems like a pretty straightforward uh no uh, reasonable notice or wrongful dismissal case, but uh, there's a bit of a wrinkle that uh, makes it interesting. Um, so this uh, gentleman was employed for just under a year. Uh, he was in a middle management role, and uh, he was about 48 years old. Uh, so you look at that, and, and he's let go without cause, and you look at that and you say, okay, it's short service, um, you know, uh, your middle management position, 48. Uh, you know, he should probably get somewhere around, you know, maybe three months, uh, best four. Um, and, and that should be a pretty easy, uh, easy case. But the, the wrinkle here is that, uh, before he worked there, um, at this company, he was, he was employed. So they actually used a headhunter to recruit him and have him leave uh, his old employer. And he was employed there for about five uh, years. And so he gave up secure employment to go join this company. And there were a lot of promises made during this uh, during this recruitment process, uh, just in terms of uh, the security of his employment and just how he'd grow with the company and it was going to be a long-term, um, you know, uh, relationship. And they ba- they made a lot of promises, basically, both through the recruiter and during uh, you know during interviews and through emails uh, the company themselves. And so it really did reach that level of um, recruitment and inducement um, in the sense that that should reflect uh, in his notice period. So um, he's not necessarily, he wouldn't get credit for just a, the one year of service. He would get some credit for that, other, that additional five years of service. And uh, on the basis of that, rather than getting him you know, a, a three-month severance package, we were able to get him a six-month severance package. Nice. And uh, right off, you know, if you saw those uh, those numbers right off the bat, you say, "Oh, there's no way you'd get up uh, up to that." Um, you know, he's a three month guy. Uh, you know, maybe four. Yeah. But uh, given that previous employment, um, the, you know, he did get some uh, consideration for that. Now, if he was a six year employee, he'd probably get closer to eight months. So you usually don't get right. your full entitlement. It's not like they just import the service, but some recognition goes to it, and so. For employer, there's a couple of lessons here, and the first, I think, most important is for employers is if you're going to be recruiting people and in you know in enticing them to leave a secure job, um, first of all, you have to be very upfront with them that in the contract that you're not recognizing their their previous service because you can completely get rid of that. 
um, argument and that potential entitlement in the employees by just having right. that in the contract that you know you haven't been induced and you're not uh, recognizing their previous service because that way the employee can actually make an informed decision. They can say, all right, you know what, given that I'm just going to stay in my, in my current job or uh, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm willing to risk it. But it's not fair to the employee and the courts will recognize this that you do all this recruitment, you make all these promises, and then if it doesn't work out, you try to just terminate their employment and, and only give them credit for the the time you uh, th- they had with you because realistically they did give up this job uh, to, to join you. And if you're talking to a guy or, or lady for that matter who's a 20, 25-plus-year employee, I mean, that, that would be a deal-breaker from the employee side as far as I'm concerned. Like, you're not going to write. And what if things go south in the first six months? Like you say, you're left out holding an empty bag. Yeah, that's right. And I, I've spoken with, with some people who um, did that exact situation, like left a job. You know, I forget the exact number, but I think it was, you know, 15 to 20 years and then within several months were let go from the new position they were definitely recruited but in the contract uh, it did say that you know you're not we're not recognizing any previous service there was a termination clause that limited them to the employment standards act and there was a probationary wow. clause so and there was really there was in that circumstance nothing we can do um, so if you're the employee just be really careful before um, quitting a, a job that you're happy in um, to go over to a new company because if it doesn't work out um, you know that's risky and, and you you know sometimes you, if they really want you that badly maybe they will recognize it in the contract that's what I was I was going to say. I mean, if they're recruiting you, they're coming after you. You have some bargaining power on your end, whether to get that reduced or, or taken out altogether. If they want you, they'll go for it if they want you badly enough. Sometimes. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, in a lot of cases, we're dealing with people who are unemployed when they get a job, and they really had, don't have right. a lot of uh, bargaining power or leverage in terms of negotiating those, those terms of employment. So it's going to be easier for employers to insert, you know, a termination clause that right. limits them to the minimums, um, a probationary yep. clause, and uh, a clause saying, you know, no previous services recognized. But if you have a, a secure job and they're the ones that, you know, are, are pursuing you, well, you have that leverage. And that, that should be something at the forefront of what you're negotiating. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell and one 225 talk toll-free. This is a live call-in show. Of course, as you know, the Employment Hour has been for the last six-plus years. So feel free to call in with your questions. Uh, what else you got going on, pal? Yeah, another uh, situation I wanted to uh, discuss, which uh, seems to come up uh, quite a bit, and it's uh, with cause termination. But, mm. um, you know, we've talked about this a lot, John, on the show, that cause terminating for cause is usually reserved for the worst type of misconduct. Pretty tough. Yeah, yeah so you're talking, you know, theft, fraud, um, you know, basically not not working or in, and basically pretending you are, uh, violence and harassment in the workplace. Those are all, you know, if you're guilty of those um that's generally cause the other way to do it is um you know a number of serious issues that uh the employees warned about um and you know that they don't improve they're given a chance to improve and they don't and eventually it just leads to the employer saying you know we don't know what else to do we've warned them we've coached them and nothing will happen um they're, they're not improving so we have to let them go um, the longer you've been there, the harder it's going to be to establish cause. But in mm-hmm. this case, it was performance, and it was specifically sales performance. So uh, this individual had been employed for about 10 years and had been no, no issues in the past, uh, no disciplinary issues. But in the last year or two, sales started to slip, and the employer was, you know, did what they could in, in the sense that they warned him about it. 
they, you know, gave coaching sessions and and, and whatnot. And, you know, they, they essentially did everything they could to improve, improve the performance. But the, the problem they had is this wasn't something he was intentionally doing or, or it didn't seem like it was something he could control. It was just... He didn't know why, but his sales weren't as strong. Right. And that could have been, you know, the economy, the, the specific market he's in. Um, and that's all that happened. And, and, you know, it's not like they could point to, you know, you're not, you're not calling enough people. You know, you're not reaching out to enough uh, companies. You're not uh, working enough. It was just your sales aren't good enough. They have to be better. And they eventually terminated for cause because of this. And, you know, right, right away, I, I, you know, spoke to him and, and reviewed the circumstances. And there's no way they were going to be able to establish cause for that. Um, I mean, look, I, I can see they may want to go a different way. Maybe they think someone can do a better job, but that doesn't mean, and they're allowed to do that, but that doesn't mean it's cause. And um, they still had to pay the full, um, full severance package in those circumstances. Wow, 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell is the number one to call in, ask your questions. This is the time to do it. In that regard, Jay, thanks for, uh, thanks for hanging on, pal. How are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? Good. What's, uh, what's on your mind? Well, I was just calling, actually, as an employer now. Uh, I was under the impression, uh, I have an employee that comes in, and uh, she's always smells like pot. She's been warned. I was told that you can't fire someone like that because all they have to say is, I have a problem, and then I'm on the hook for paying for rehab for them and supplying them with a job when they get back. I mean, that that's probably a bit, um, you know. Basic. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I see what you're saying, and I, I get the, the basic uh, premise. But, um, I mean, it's not that simple, just in the sense that if they're showing up to work, um, you know, high, and uh, that, that you definitely have an ability to warn them not to do that, and if they are, um, to terminate them for cause. I mean, they're, um, you know, in, in, on drugs at work. Um, it's similar to alcohol. Now, what you probably should do is ask them, you know, av- advise them of the, you know, what you suspect, um, and ask them if they do have a problem and okay. if they need help. And so it's basically you've done everything you can in that, in that circumstance to, you know, to accommodate them. And if they're, you know, refusing to admit it, um, if they say no, no, no issues at all, um, you know, then you can, you'd be able to go ahead and terminate their employment. This should okay. be done written as well as we always recommend. Yeah, right? it should. Um, yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it probably you know we these days you know in the last several months this has obviously become a, a you know a hot topic um, in yeah. employment law just because you know it's it's now legal so um, they, you know the night before work they can you know they can smoke pot so um, yeah. you know it, it is becoming an issue. Yeah, exactly. So you just need to make sure it's not happening while they're at work. Um, so yeah. I would start with uh, with a written warning, and then in that you can also you know advise them. And if they if they do need any type of accommodation, if they um, you know have a, a dependency on it, um, that uh, you know you they should seek help for that, and, and you know you can uh, assist them in that regard. But um, before doing anything, I would give us a call just so we can go through the whole circumstance um, and, okay. and tailor a letter um, designed specifically for the situation. Okay, can I can I ask one more quick question? Sure, sure, absolutely. Can you explain the difference to me? I listen all the time, and I know there's the Employment Standards Act, and then you talk about the Common Law Act. What 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 is the difference? And, and no one seems to believe me about this Common Law Act that you talk about. Yeah, it's yeah, a great that's why question. We do the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Employment Standards Act is legis is a legislation, so a piece of law that the Ontario government has passed that sets out minimum entitlements for employees. Um, okay. And the biggest, uh, you know, 
and you know vacation, um, you know overtime, uh, termination pay, severance pay, and whatnot. Um, common law is not a specific act, so it's not um, something that the government's passed. It's not one piece of paper. It's just a series of court decisions and legal principles that have you know developed in those court decisions so, that like govern. That have been said? Pardon? Like it's kind of like precedents that have been set over the years. Yeah, exactly. And the easiest way to dis- to kind of the example to give to distinguish between the two is the Employment Standards Act. Um, sets out minimum in terms of termination pay, right? Okay. And those are minimums. So um, for termination pay, it's one, it's one basically a one week per year of service up to eight weeks. Um, and then if the payroll is over $2.5 million and then you have five years of service, you get severance pay if you're an employee of a week per year of service up to 26 weeks. Um, okay. So th- that brings a total to 34 weeks for a, you know, a long service employee. Right. Common law is basically on top of that. Like, so, um, you know, just because an employee is entitled to um, 34 weeks of ESA, Employment Standards Act, termination, severance pay, um, doesn't mean that's all they get. Precedent has set that based on their age, years of service, and position, they could actually get much more than that. Um, you know, the cap in, in many cases is 24 months, but there's even cases that go beyond that now. Okay. Okay, but no, you're absolutely right that it does. Common law does exist, but unfortunately, it's not something you can just. Um, there's not one document or one source you can go to. It's just it's legal principles that are based on precedent. Jane, that's a great question. Thank you for asking. I hope it cleared up for uh, for everybody listening. If not, we can continue on talking about it. In the meantime, uh, that number, by the way, Jay, to uh, to follow up with Dave or Lior, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Dave, I see you there, and Chris as well. Hang on, guys or, or ladies. We'll uh, one of you anyway. We'll get to you and uh, many more as we continue here. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on your cell one triple eight two two five talk. That is toll three. Uh, this is the employment hour right here on Global News Radio. Plenty of time for you to call and ask your questions 416-870-6400 star 640 on cell one 225 talk that is toll free dave vaughn in the uh, the hot seat tonight moving on dave thank you for hanging on fella how are you tonight i guess that's me yes sir what's going on okay uh yeah i uh certain thing at work uh, had happened uh uh one of the people that uh was on the job that had me do this uh was supposed to have been there to keep an eye on things and uh, something happened and uh, I uh, I uh, damaged a particular thing and uh, and the owner should say the who I work for uh, uh, is making me uh, pay for it and the other people are paying the other half and uh, he's taking the money off my, my paycheck um, I didn't think you could touch a person's paycheck, either either pay it or or quit or uh, those were your your uh, choices you had pretty well. Yeah, you're right. They're not uh, supposed to take that off your uh, your paycheck. Did you what what happened? Well, I don't want to get too many details. No, okay. This person's listening. <laughs> what, what, did you, were you did you um, are you responsible for it? Uh. So partially well yes we and were, no we were we were told uh if we were going to have to do this particular task yeah to phone and find out but the person that was there was from the company who my boss 
works for. Like he's a contractor, and uh, and I was asked to to do something, and uh, I uh, when I was digging, I I uh, caught something, and uh, so come, yeah, that's they're, they're not they shouldn't be able to take your uh, your pay for that. No, um, no. but anyway, I've, I I used you guys a couple years ago, uh, and uh, because of ex employer. Uh, 27 years and they uh never called me uh back to work i guess they, they might have heard i uh i was working with somebody else so they figured eh, i guess he's uh doesn't Moved want to come on, back yeah. to work for us but you know all they had to do is uh take their little pinky and, and hit 10 buttons and hey uh we're working up at barry again uh you want to come back to work right i, I had to, i had to find another job yep because uh you know un, un, unemployment only lasts so long yep. so, yeah so uh, so what's yeah. the uh, what's uh, Dave? What's uh, what's his uh, what's the fix? I mean, so have they actually taken it from you? The money? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I believe the best course of action there would be to call the uh, and I we you know we usually don't say this, but it's to call to call the Ministry of Labor. Well, that's that's what I've, I'm uh, thinking of doing for sure. Yeah. Well, that that's the way to yeah. do it. That's the way to go about it. Cause they're the, not supposed uh, to touch your, uh, your 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 pay. Uh, because. Uh, uh, when I was dealt with with you before a few years ago, um, people say that well, you know, they can't really, uh, they don't really have as, you know, that much of clout when it comes to certain things. It's better to get a a employment lawyer. It like, is in terms of severance pay. Yeah, it's in, it, it is in terms of severance pay um, under common law, but an issue like that um, is where it's just you know basically they made inappropriate deductions from your pay. Uh, would be you'll you'll you should get uh, recourse through the ministry. Appreciate that, Dave. Moving on to uh, to Chris. Hey, Chris. Good evening. Good evening. Yeah, uh, I'm a commission salesman, and yep. I called in before just to get a clarification on whether I'm classified as an employee or a self-employed person. I get a T4A. Um, I am responsible for all my own expenses: car, gas, blah blah blah. They take no deductions from my check except for the fact that they do take the the classification WSIB amount for the company, for its industry, uh, off the top of my commissions. Uh, when I had called him before, based on my, uh, my the description of my situation with the company, you ruled that I was considered employee of the company. If that's the case, uh, are the, is the company allowed to deduct the WSIB off me, which they, they don't do it off the wages of the other employees of the company that they pay either salary or hourly? Um, and the other question is, I'm responsible for, for the full uh, CPP contribution, which is just under 10%. And if I am an employee of the company, do not the labor laws in, uh, call, come into play where, it's my understanding, the employer is responsible for half the CPP contribution and the employee is responsible for the other half. Right. So the I think the analysis we would have done is asked you a number of questions in term, to figure out whether, despite the fact that you're considered, you're considered self-employed, right? Is that what they consider you? Or an independent contractor? Well, they, they, they consider me self Well, this is a gray area because I don't know. I mean, as far as when I file my tax return to Revenue Canada, I'm classified as an employee of that company. I, that's 100% all my income comes from that one source. Yeah. Uh, I yep. wear their t. I wear their shirt. I have a, cr- a business card on their company name with my there. And they set your hours of work, and they 
You work full time no, for them? My hours. Uh, they don't set my hours. I uh, I don't have to come into the office certain hours. I don't have an office in the company. Uh, they, I don't use their computer system. Okay. Uh, uh, but again, uh, so uh, I don't know. And uh, last time I well, I had called maybe about a year ago, and you said based on everything, uh, you know, you're an employee of the company. Bottom line, right? And I don't know if that's still the case. Now, if I am an employee of the company, even though I'm a commissioned salesman, do I not have the the the, the, the employment standard act and all that applied like it would be as if I'm a salaried or an hourly employee? Well, yeah. If you're an employee, if you're found to be an employee at law, then yes, the employment standards act governs your employment. Um, but you're not, you know, if you're going to treat yourself uh, as an independent contractor. Um, which it sounds like you do. That it sounds to be like the 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 relationship in terms of the pay and whatnot. It's not. I mean, you're not going to be able to have it both ways during the relationship. Because if you go go to them now and say, "Look, I want to. You need to do these uh, X, Y, Z because I'm an employee." Well, then they're going to say, "Okay. Well, if you're an employee, we're going to start taking deductions off, and we're going to start, um, you know, for tax and and, uh, and everything." Um, so. It, in terms of the actual how the relationship works, um, it's basically one or the other. You're either an employee or a contractor in terms of how you guys treat yourselves. Yeah, but who 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 determines what this relationship structure is? Oh, I the mean, law, if I, no? if I receive if I receive a T four A at the end of the year, as opposed to just issuing them uh, invoices for services rendered, uh, and and I file my taxes. It it, it, it it comes back that Revenue Canada is considered me an employee because of the way deductions are done as a self-employed person or as opposed to an employed person. Um, if I'm a self-employed person, like a contractor, then I can deduct all my expenses off my income before they apply CPP to that amount. And they're not doing that with Revenue Canada based on my T4A. Okay. Does that make sense? If I receive a T4A from the company. Uh, does Revenue Canada consider me an employee of the company or a self-employed person? Well, I, I don't know. I'm not a tax lawyer. I'm not an accountant, so I don't know the distinction in terms of how Revenue Canada teaches or treats you. Um, I, I under, if I understand what you're saying is you're basically a self-employed um, individual, right? So you're not paid through a corporation. They pay you directly, um, but you just handle your own taxes and withholdings, right? That's correct. So yeah, okay. Off me, but uh, yeah, so that's why you do have to pay some of those CPP and, and whatnot to, through to to uh, the CRA, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, okay. Again, if the CRA rules me as an employee, but they haven't ruled you as an employee. They've they've said you're self-employed. Uh, they haven't said that. Okay, well, I don't know then because. Um, I mean, I, I don't. I guess so. If at some point you're let go and they they terminate the relationship, at that point, if you want to try to get severance pay or something or, or termination pay, then the, we would look at it the factors and see whether you were, right. despite how they treated you and despite how they paid you, whether you were an employee, a dependent contractor, or an independent contractor. So. There's nothing really right now in terms of uh, you know figuring out like there's no body that can just determine whether you're an employee or a an independent contractor right, right now. And I should also point out that there can be different assessments based. I mean, the courts can have a different determination than the CRA um, or, or WSIB. So different bodies can come to different determinations as to whether you're an employee or a contractor. 
Chris, appreciate the call. Follow up with us, please, if that uh, comes uh, to fruition. Uh, for the rest of you, 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. Matthew, thanks for uh, thanks for hanging in. How are you tonight? Very good. Thanks for having me. No worries. What's uh, what's going on? Yeah, so um, I recently joined uh, a company of about 1,000 people at the level of chief financial officer. And uh, we negotiated a contract, and in the contract it stated that I would be uh, working at 40 hours per week, and I was a salaried employee. But what I wasn't told was that I would have to punch a clock every time I came to work. (laughs) So I was wondering, if I'm salaried and I punch a clock, is that legal, number one? And number two... If I actually come in at 7.03 instead of 7.02, they actually deduct time from my weekly pay. Hmm. That's uh, that's very uh, strange. I, uh, I've oh. not heard of that before, um, that type of situation. So I think you're right to be uh, perplexed by it. Um, I mean, it's it's legal in the sense that they can you know they can have people whether or not you're salaried or, or hourly, they can still monitor when you come and go um, and the hours you work. And, um, you know, for a salary, it's, it's supposed to cover um, your hours of work. So if it says in your contract you're expected to be here 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, and we'll pay you a salary on that basis, um, you know, they're allowed to monitor that. And if you work less than that, um, you know, it let, you, you, they can actually, apart from, you know, when you take vacation and if you have any paid sick days, they can actually reduce your salary um, based to the time you actually worked. Um, now that doesn't happen very often in the context you're describing, and just in the sense that you know, yeah, if you're three minutes late, are they going to take off um, three minutes of pay? I, I mean, I, I haven't no, heard. They, they, yeah, they take off a half hour, and everybody that's in the office has to punch in, which was very shocking. Yeah, that is. For me to come in. Yeah. One more quick question, if I can ask. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the contract when I signed it, um, it was clear that I was coming over to replace the former. Chief Financial Officer. I was previously Chief Financial Officer at my previous role, but the employer left it blank. Left? The title position, the position title blank in the contract. Okay, so doesn't you don't actually have a position in your contract? No, but everybody understands that that is my position, the bankers, the employers, the accounting. Got it. Yet the, they're they're reluctant to commit to that title. I mean, I, I think you know, since you've started now, um, all you can do is um, you know at least get it an email where you communicate your understanding that you are um, the, the CFO, um, and just send have that in an email and see what they say. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's in the contract or not, but at least if you have that written in an email that that's your understanding, um, that'll provide support for that. Um, in terms of the the punch clock issue, I mean, you could talk to them, you know, whoever you report to, and just explain that you know you find it a bit strange that um, you know uh, an executive in a senior position with a salary is having to punch in and out, um, and, and see if anything can be done about that. You need to reach out any time when the show is not on, by the way, to get a hold of Dave or Lee or 1-855-821-5900 would be the number. Get to Corey quickly here. Hey, Corey, how are you? Good. What's going on with you? Yeah, I just want to inquire regarding uh, because I'm I'm on WS. Am I on live right now? No. Yes, you are. Yes. Yeah. Oh, they're gonna hear me. 
Oh, that's okay. Nobody knows who you are. Yeah. There's a million Corys in Toronto. We're all good. What's uh, what's your question? Yes, uh, because I've been working in the company for 17 years, and uh, yeah. I injured myself, and the doctor already said that it's a permanent impairment, so I cannot go back to work. Okay. So I'm just asking, the employer, they are not going to give me a permanent modified or... Accommodation? Yeah. If it's so, do you have a you have a permanent disability that prevents you from working? Yes. In any job? Uh, on my where I work right now, it's the. Yeah. So the way that would work is um, if basically the 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 doctor should provide um, the company with your restrictions and those restrictions from a medical perspective, and those restrictions could be that you just can't work at all. At the time, um, they could be that you know you can't do mo- you know most jobs, but you can do. The, here are some things that sh- you can do, and the company has an obligation to attempt to accommodate you to the p- point of undue hardship. Um, oh. So, if it's a big company, um, a lot of the time big companies can accommodate, but you'd you'd need to get those restrictions and accommodations from your doctor and communicate them to the company. Now, if you're permanently and totally d- disabled, and there's no chance of returning to work in the you know reasonably foreseeable future. Um, it could be that your employment contract's frustrated, and if that's the case, you would be entitled to a severance package. But it would be only, it would be limited to just the minimum termination entitlements under the Employment Standards Act. Um, oh. With with 17 years of service, um, you'd get, assuming their payroll's over 2.5 million, um, you'd get about 17 weeks um, of of severance pay and eight weeks of termination pay. And she's on, uh, she's unionized as well. Okay, so if uh, if you're in a union, you'd ha- you'd want to talk to your union representative yep. about this. Yeah, uh, we'll move on to uh, to Susie. Hey, Susie, thanks for hanging in there. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. What's going on? So I have a question. I've been a long term employee in a management position, and uh, I've had a bonus program for about thirty years. Our company switched ownership. Um, I'm going to say about six, seven years ago, and we. Um, had the bonus um, included in our new employment letter um, with language uh, that covered off um, the bonus program based on predefined uh, objectives. So um, I've never not received my bonus and my no performance issues, but um, last year and most specifically this year, the objectives that are being predetermined by um, the corporate office are not really attainable, mm-hmm. and we were we were asked to sign to sign it. Okay, and have you signed it? No, I said I wasn't going to sign it. Okay, yeah, I mean, in terms of bonuses, come down or come down to the the language a lot of the time. But even if the bonus policy allows them to, you know, use some discretion in terms of setting um, what the objectives are and what the you know measurements are. Uh, given the history, you know the the history of the bonus and the consistency of the bonus, the employer would be obligated to exercise that discretion reasonably. Um, which, to me, I, I think we would make a very strong argument that, that should be you know something that's attainable. 
Um, so I think um, you know you, you you still may have you know that could be viewed as a change to your um, you know compensation structure um, that that could amount to a significant change and reduction in your compensation, which um, you know could be used a to go after them for you know an accrued bonus and or um, could ground a constructive dismissal case. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, to to. To properly uh, advise you on that, um, we'd, I, I, we'd need to sit down and really go through the history of the bonuses in terms of the amounts and look at, at all the language and the new document they're having you sign. Okay, perfect. Well, I'm hoping to connect with you after the show. Excellent. That would be uh, fantastic. Uh, Susie, please do that again. It's one 855 or help at employmenthour.com. Moving on to, uh, to George. Hey, George, good evening. How are you? Hey, great. Thanks. Thanks for taking my call. Beauty. What's uh, going on? A quick, uh, quick question to see whether I would be eligible for severance if let go. Here's my scenario. Uh, mm-hmm. 54 years old, been with my current firm for just under six years. It's a large multinational. I was originally hired in Canada, worked in Canada for two and a half years, and then moved to a role in the U.S. Um, in New York. And I moved to U.S. payroll. Um, I have a home in the U.S., I have a home here, the company knows that, uh, but I'm entirely off the Canadian books now. Uh, New York's an at-will state, so I was curious that under a scenario, if I was let go, would I have any recourse here under Ontario law uh, with the Canadian entity, which is really just an operating division of, of the parent, or whether I'd be subject to New York law? Great question. Do you perform? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and um, do you perform your job in the U.S.? Uh, both, uh, North America. Okay, so like, where do you work out of? What office, percentage wise? Uh, percentage wise, uh, about forty percent of my time in Manhattan. Uh, the rest of the time on the road. And when you're on the road, are you in Canada for some of that time? I am probably about eighty percent in the U.S. Okay, so you're. Very minimal. Very so you say ten percent of your work time is spent in Canada? Yeah, unless I'm at my home in Canada. Right. So when you're in, so do you do you work from home in Canada often? A uh, fair bit, about thirty percent of my work days. Okay, that's uh, that's interesting. I mean, I can tell you that the company would definitely, I would think, take the position that you're an American employee. Yeah. Um, given where you know where you spend your most of your time, um, and the fact that you're not on the Canadian books, are you paid in American? Yeah. Do you get a Do you get, no. do you get a T4 at all? No, not at all. All W two. Yeah. They do provide me. Uh, they know I'm still a tax resident in Canada, and they handle my taxes between the two countries. Right. Okay. Um, I believe you would likely be considered a U.S. employee and not entitled to. Um, you know, severance and termination pay under Ontario law. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's my best analysis right now. Um, I think there there could be an argument to be made um, the other way, but I think it'd be an uphill battle. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Appreciate the opinion. Yeah, uh, George. Yeah, appreciate the call. It's a uh, it's an interesting one for uh, for sure. Billy, thank you for uh, for hanging on the, all this time. How are you? Very good. Thank you very much for taking my call, gentlemen. Sure. Um, no worries. I work for a um, non-union, federally regulated company, 
and uh, they're worldwide. And uh, I've never heard this question asked before. We don't get paid for any breaks at all. There's no 10-minute, 15-minute break paid. Um, they expect us to take a half-hour lunch, and now they want to um, extend it to a one-hour lunch. And I was just wondering if they're able to do that. Hmm. Yeah, interesting question. So you're, what you're saying is, um, so you, what's your work schedule? Like, what's your day uh, day schedule? I start at uh, ten o'clock in the morning. Supposed to be done at six thirty for an eight-hour shift, um, and sometimes goes into overtime. But they're cutting back on that quite a bit. Okay. Yeah, from what I understand, you do, you don't get. Uh, they're allowed to make you have. A, they don't have to pay you for your breaks. That's where they don't have to at all. Yeah, okay. that's that's what I understand. So, um, I mean, you, if they're making a change though to your, you know, if you have you been paid in the past? No, they've never paid us. They just want to. They just want to increase it. Okay. Yes. I mean, that could. It, it does that impact your schedule at all? I mean, I know for 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 instance, I would not want to take an hour break in the middle of the day. You know what I mean? I'd want to get my work done. Um, does it? So does that? Is that something that you're that, that's bothering you? Well, just the the fact that it's it's just another half hour at work, not getting paid. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I hear on, you there. We're on the road. I'm a driver. Got it. Okay. I'm a transport driver. Yeah. Okay. Now, do you have mandated breaks though? I mean, like, what's are you on the like? Are you on the road overnight and everything? No, sir. No. Okay, so you're driving. You're just doing day trips. Yep. Yep. City work. Okay, you're you're city work, yet you're you're federally regulated. That's correct. Yes, because they are across Canada and around the world. Oh, okay, so you, your particular job is city, but other drivers do cross borders and stuff. Uh, we have a few, yes, but okay. um, but just because we have depots in across Canada, that's why they've gone with the federal, federally uh, regulated. Okay, that's interesting. Um, I know, yeah, dri- many drivers uh, are federally regulated, but usually, if you're if you and you, the other drivers are just local, um, usually you're just provincial. But um, so you, you may want to give us a call on that, just to, so we can see what 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 legislation governs governs your uh, your employment. Okay. That's All right. Good. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Have a good evening. Billy, appreciate uh, your call as well. Thank you for listening. I want to follow up. It's one 821 5900 com. Been another uh, banger, another good show. You'll want to reach out and contact Dave or Lior. That is the number, one 821 5900 com. And always, always, always use severancepaycalculator.com before you think of signing anything. Back in the weekend shows, an employment hour and 30 on Global TV and CTV happens on Saturday and Sunday mornings. We're done for this week on Global News Radio.